Hope you're doing well today. Hope you've had a good weekend. I had an awesome weekend. Uh, we were at the Agape Conference here in town. We've talked about that a little bit, and several of us went over uh, to Pleasant Valley that was hosting this conference this weekend. And I'll, I'm going to say, I'll put my cards on the table and say, I didn't really know what that was going to be like. I've been to a lot of conferences before, and sometimes they're really great, and sometimes they're kind of lame. And uh, I didn't know. I didn't know, what, I didn't know what I was in for. Um, but this was one of the really great ones. This was one of the really great ones. And the time that we spent in worship before the Lord really made me think about, it wasn't one of those things for me that went, sometimes you go to a conference and you're like, oh, this reminds me of all the things that we're terrible at, that we should do better and be different. But I got to say that part of what happened this weekend for me is it reminded me of all the things that I really love about Central. That's the truth. It reminded me of a lot of the things that I think are really um, healthy and are, are great about our community uh, and the things that are happening. And it's made me, just, I just had this weekend of, of giving honor to God for what I think uh, God is doing among us. It was really, really beautiful. Next year, y'all think about going, okay? And if you're on the fence of, is it going to be good or is it going to be lame? I don't know about next year. It might be lame. Um, but what I can say is that this year, it was really great. Okay, and it might be something next year to think about uh, making space in your in your life to go to. It'll be again next fall. We have been working through the mission and the story of God, and I know it's been a minute since we started. Since we started, remember that that dumb little story I told you about the uh, woolly rhinoceros. Remember that and the skeleton. Yes, some of you remember this. Okay. Um, just if you don't remember it, just nod like you do. It makes a preacher feel good that you've, you know, you remember some of the things that have been happening. We talked about what it means to have a structure uh, in place, right? To have a way that we read scripture that helps us make sense of the whole story. Sometimes you need to see the whole so that you can make sense of all the little pieces. Think about a puzzle, right? And if I took a, a big, long, uh, uh, like a you know 500-piece puzzle, and I just went around the auditorium today, and I gave each of you a little piece of the puzzle, okay? Would it make any sense to you just seeing the one little piece? And that's the way that we handle Scripture a lot, is we take little pieces of the big puzzle and we examine it, and we look at it. Oh, it might be part of a bird. I don't know, you know. And it, it makes it difficult. Sometimes when you do a puzzle, you look at the box, right? I mean, I guess there are madmen out there that do it a different way. When I do a puzzle, I want to see what that thing is going to look like, right? And sometimes you need that overall context so that you can take the little pieces and know exactly where they go. And so that's what we try to do. And we've talked about these 10 steps, things that in scripture that sometimes are moments, sometimes they're bigger than just a moment. And they're like a theme that kind of gets replayed over and over again in the story. God creates. the creation in order to counteract the effect of that corruption and against the powers of corruption in the world. 
His people are enslaved and he delivers them in the moment of the Exodus. He take, brings his covenant people, uh, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And they become a people under the word of God at Sinai. And then after that, we have, uh, they move into uh, the promised land and they become a kingdom. A kingdom that has its ups and it has its downs because there are up kings and down kings. And sometimes that kingdom looks just like what God wants it to look like. A kingdom devoted to him and in worship and also a kingdom of justice. And of course, many times it looks like something else. Sometimes it looks like a kingdom of injustice and a kingdom of idolatry. And because of that, the kingdom is broken into pieces and sent into exile. In exile, in exile, the people have to learn to depend not on their own strength, but on God's presence with them, even in the midst of struggle and darkness. Exile is a critical part of the story, and we suffer needlessly when we delete it from the story. Of course, there is a turning point after the exile when the Messiah comes. And in Jesus, we finally hear the gospel word that despite all of the reasons that he might have had to abandon us, God has not abandoned us. Instead, God is with us and what? For us. God is with us and for us. We see that in the life of the Messiah, in the life of Jesus. And we see it in his death and in his resurrection, that God has not abandoned us, but he is for us and he is with us. And then last week, we talked about the Spirit. The last week, we talked about what the, the, the life of the Spirit, and we talked about what it meant for the Spirit to be sent in the world and to carry on the mission of Jesus even further into the world. And of course, you can't really talk about the Spirit without moving into this next piece of the conversation, which is church. And think about how the church fits into the life, into the whole story. You know, what is, what is this little puzzle piece, where does it fit in that whole box, right? On that picture that's on the back of the box of the puzzle. What in the world are we doing? In other words, and in, a, in some sense, this whole series um, comes to this, not, not that the church is the most important part of the story, but it's the part that we live in, right? And so we need to have some understanding of how what we are doing in our moment, how what we're doing fits into that whole story. And I don't know that we've connected those dots well enough. Sometimes we've left people trying to figure out, like, are we just kind of coming here and reflecting on things that happened a long, long time ago? Or are we gathering together just to kind of perform some sort of ritual that keeps God from being mad at us this week? I think it's a very deficient way of thinking about what the church is doing. But when we think about how the story of the church fits into the broader story of what God is at work doing in the world, it can be very useful for us. Now, I, I said that I, I wouldn't want to, um, the one that we did last week, the story of the Spirit, we kind of need to connect it in with the story of the church. We can't leave those hanging separately. 
Last week we said this, just as the Son is sent, the Spirit is sent into the world. We even talked about this really challenging idea that the mission of the Spirit is just as important, equal in importance to the mission of the Son. Was anybody challenged by that? I think I find that to be a very challenging idea. Yeah, I know. But let me push it even a little bit further. Because just as the Son is sent and the Spirit is sent, so also the church is sent into the world. And we might even take that quote from Leonard Allen just a little bit step further and say that not only is the mission of the Spirit as important to the story of God as the mission of the Son is, but we too, as crazy as it sounds, have been given a mission that is as important too. As important, not because we rise on the same level of Jesus, but because it is the same mission. We, who now are the body of Jesus, take on Jesus' mission in the world. Turn with me into John, the Gospel of John, if you will, into chapter 20. And I want to look at something. I know that you guys spent uh, most of the spring, if you were here at Central in the spring, you spent a lot of time working through the Gospel of John. And there's a drum beat that works all the way through the Gospel of John. And it's, if you went back and read it over, um, it, it's a thing that you might not have picked up as you first go through the Gospel. But it's the idea of who Jesus is, who, who, what his core identity is. And the way that John says that in all through, all through that book, okay, and I hope that you will test me. I am so looking forward to about Thursday, somebody here sending me a text message that says, holy cow, I read through the entire Gospel of John this week, and you're right. Send me those text messages, okay? Or if you think I'm wrong, you're welcome to do that too, but I'm not. But test me, test me. From the first chapter all the way into this, what John has to say about Jesus is that he is the one who was with God, who was sent from God. That's his core identity. That Jesus is the one who was with God in the beginning, with God the Father, and he was sent into the world to carry out God's work in the world. That's who Jesus is. That's the core thing that John will over and over and over again say about who, who Jesus is. Jesus will speak to the people and say, look, I'm only doing what I see the Father doing, right? I always do what I see the Father doing. For this reason, I was sent into the world. He says things like that all the time. You guys are gonna read through this gospel this week and you're going to start to get sick of it because of how many times he says that. And then you'll text me. But here's the real climax of that story. After we come to accept Jesus is the one sent from God, 
Jesus is the one sent from God. He is the one that was with God who is now the one sent from God. Jesus hits his disciples with this in chapter 20. This is after the resurrection. And it's when Jesus meets with his disciples. Verse 19 of John 20. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I, what? Send you. It is an absolute bomb in the story. That the whole question all the way throughout is Jesus is the one who is sent. He is the one who is sent. He is the one who is sent. He is the one who is sent. And here, the sent one becomes the sender. And he takes his people and says, just as much as this core thing that you've come to believe about me is true, now it's true of you as well. But they don't go alone. Verse 22, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. But if you retain the sins of any, they're retained. So Jesus, in probably one of the weirdest stories in any of the Gospels, after he says, I'm sending you into the world, blows on them. That's weird, right? And what he does is it's a moment of him giving them the Holy Spirit. Now, it's different than the way that Acts tells the Pentecost story that they have the tongues of fire on their heads, begin speaking on tongues, all that stuff that we talked about, the coming of the Spirit last week. This is just a moment, and it's a different kind of picture. It's this intimate uh, uh, moment with Jesus and his disciples in this upper room. And Jesus, in the, in the very act of sending them, says, this is the Spirit that will go with you. This is the spirit that goes with you into the world as you are sent. See, we join in. In these last three stories, the, the story of the Messiah and the story of the spirit and the story of the church is the story of how not there is a new mission that becomes part of what. It's not like God's story is going to reboot at this point. It's about us joining in. We are invited to join in to the mission of the Son. We're invited to join in to the mission of the Spirit. We're invited to be a part of the sent community of the Trinity. It's really an amazing, amazing part of the story.
So what is it that we're doing? What is the work that we have to do as people who go out into the world with the Holy Spirit? Well, the Spirit first empowers the church to announce the gospel, all right? Now, sometimes announcements get a bad rap. People like people love to make. We went to that worship conference. They like make fun of people making announcements. Announcements are great. I love announcements. Announcements are part of our core identity. And I'll tell you, I'm only being half a little bit playful. I think the things that we announce when we get up and we say, "Hey, we've got some. We got a potluck at three o'clock, or we have, well, we don't have one today." I want everybody to be clear about that. Don't show up with a casserole. We've got. A baby shower, we got whatever going on this week, okay, we got a, a bike party this afternoon, whatever the announcements are for a particular day. Those are things that have to do with our community together. They deserve a place among us. But on the other side of things, we have something to announce to the world, and that is the gospel of Jesus. That word that we talked about, about how God is for us and with us, the church has that word on our lips and we are sent out into the world to speak that to everybody we meet. To continually not just keep the news of God's for usness and his with usness to ourselves. That's not just for us to enjoy and appreciate. It is our mission to speak that to the world around us, right? And we do that in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes it's as simple as like having a word when you know you have some a friend at school or you have a coworker or you have a neighbor and they tell you about the things that are difficult in their life and they share with you how they feel like they're out on their own and you say, I believe that you're not out on your own. But that God is with you. And I believe that God is for you and loves you and cares for you. And in that moment, you are a missionary. You are speaking the gospel word that you were sent to announce. And you may not bust out a trumpet and have a big, like, you know, uh, what, megaphone that you're sending on, a, on, a, on the edge of the sidewalk on like a milk crate. You may not think of yourself street preaching like that. But man, when you tell somebody that you love that God is with them and that God is for them, you are announcing the gospel of Jesus. And it's part of your mission in the world. It's part of our mission. Sometimes it's about inviting somebody into this space, right? Sometimes it's about saying to your friend, hey, listen, I've got a community of people that are about following Jesus together, and we, we are trying to build, you know, listen to Jesus and, and appreciate what he's calling us to in the world. And that may feel real weird to you. If you want to learn more about how to do that, we have a specialist in our midst today. Now, I haven't been here long enough, but Shannon, Ho uh, Shannon Hovatter, <laughs> A little too close to true there. Shannon assures me that the person who has brought the most people to Central over time today, the evangelist in our midst, it's true, isn't it? Is, is it true? It's true? Yeah. And my man Meech right over there. Meech, stand up real quick. Oh, he's like, you want to do me like that? Yes, I am, sir. Now, Meech here, you want to wave? 
Yeah, all right. Everybody say, hey, Meech. Hey, listen. You want to know about him? You can sit down now. You don't have to stand up the whole time. You want to know about inviting people to church? You need to talk about my Meech. He taught, when we had our, our, our class, we're going to call it the mix. This was an 18, 23-year-old group that we started talking about today, started meeting today. Meech gave us a little seminar, a specialty seminar on inviting people to church today. He said something brilliant. He said the thing that's helped him is he's, he learned to not worry about whether people are going to say no or not. He says, if somebody's going to say no, he's going to ask them anyways. <laughs> he may ask them five, ten, he said, I, I don't mind people telling me no. But I'm going to ask him again. I'm going to ask somebody else. I'm going to ask again and again and again and again and again. You know why Meech has brought more people to church? Because he's asked more people. He doesn't stop asking. <laughs> and there's a space where when we take it on, we take it seriously that part of our work is to invite people into the community of Jesus. Not because it's just about making the church bigger, but it's about bringing people to Jesus. And there, our world is full of people who are absolutely lost and need Jesus. There are people that desperately need to know the truth of the gospel that God is for us and that God is with us and that Jesus has died so that they can be forgiven from their sins and they won't know it if you don't tell them. They won't know it if you don't tell them. And there may be somebody in your life right now that desperately needs to hear the announcement of the gospel of Jesus. And what would you feel if Jesus brought you right here in front? And just like we were commissioned a missionary to go to Ghana or to Peru, we lay hands on him and say, I'm, I'm, so we're sending you to Peru for this mission. You must imagine yourself. You must know that the reality is that Jesus' hands are on you. He has poured his spirit into you and he has commissioned you and said, just as God the Father sent me into the world, I have sent you. And just as the drumbeat of the Gospel of John is over and over again that Jesus' core identity is that he was sent by God, so it is for us. Amen? We need to claim that, that identity. But we don't just go to announce the gospel. The Spirit also empowers the church to embody the gospel. Paul often says that we are the body of Christ, right? That the church is like Jesus' body here on the, in the world. And what that means is the way that we all together, somehow, we don't just, we're not just here with a word to speak, but we somehow make flesh, make, we, we put flesh on the gospel so that people won't just hear it, they will see it. 
they'll see the cross and they'll see the resurrection in the way that we care for each other, in the way that we uh, offer ourselves to each other. They'll see it in the way that we reconcile to each other when we have disagreements and in the way that we uh, come into each other's lives in moments of need and concern. The world needs not just to hear the gospel, they need to see it, and they need to see the cross of Jesus made real in the way that we choose to live. Now notice that both of these things, I didn't just say the church needs to announce the gospel and the church needs to embody the gospel. We say that the Spirit empowers the church to do these things. We don't do them by ourselves. It is the spirit that is at work within us. And when we're at that precipice and we're standing over the edge and we're like, man, I don't know if I've got the guts to talk to my friend about what God is doing or not. It is the spirit that says, that moves through us. Jesus tells his disciples, when you're called in before the Gentiles and you're being asked to testify on my name and they're harassing you, don't worry about what it is that you're gonna say. For the Spirit will give you the words that you need. And through, the, through the, the story of Acts, over and over again, we see the Spirit doing exactly that, giving the disciples just the words to say to make that announcement. And in the same way, the Spirit also empowers us to embody the gospel. And it's the Spirit that moves us to say, hey, my brother is in need of a word of encouragement and I'm going to take time, I'm gonna mark off time to give that brother the encouragement that he needs. Or I can see that my sister here is in a space where she needs somebody to radically help her through this moment and the Spirit moves us to make that cross-shaped decision to help a sister in need. It is the Spirit when I am in a place where I deeply disagree with somebody, not even on the level of what we might call a, a preference, but I, I'm having trouble because I have convictions that bother me in the way that my brother is, is, is choosing to do something. And he feels the same way about me. And how will we ever get through it except for the Spirit teaching us to listen to each other and to be patient with each other? to give us compassion and mercy and grace for each other in the spirit. Not just because of our own virtue that we've developed, but, but the spirit within us moves us. In that moment of disagreement, embody the way of Jesus so that I participate in that conversation, not just as somebody with really strong opinions, but as someone who is being shaped by the cross of Jesus. You hear me? There's some of this stuff about being church together. Sometimes it's hard. Come on, church, say amen, man. It's hard sometimes. One of the speakers this weekend said, man, sometimes being church is hard because you don't know if it's your turn to be crazy or your brother's, right? Sometimes it's your brother's turn. He's the one being acting all crazy because he's had a hard week. And sometimes you're the one. Got into the minivan, kids throwing Cheerios, 
Nobody knows where they want to go eat afterwards. And you may walk in, and you may not be ready for that little moment where somebody gives you just enough of a hard edge, right? Sometimes you come in, you act a, act a fool. It, we're people, right? None of us got it all together. Brennan Manning once wrote that the gospel was not for people who were steady um, or, or, or not for people that had it all together, but it was for unsteady disciples whose cheese was always falling off their cracker. <laughs> I love that line. It's in the ragmuffin gospel. We're not part of this and we don't do a good job with our mission because we got it all together because the spirit is at work within us and any church that is effective without the spirit, no matter what the externals look like, is utterly hopeless. It is only those people who are relying on, dependent on the spirit of God to be at work within us that can not only effectively speak of God, that can embody the way of Jesus. And I think that's who we are. I think that's who we're becoming. And I hope that I develop some skills in my life. I hope I develop some virtues in my life. But more than anything else, I hope that by the time I'm old and gray, I hope I am more fully dependent on whatever the Spirit would lead me to say and do. May I never develop any expertise except for that which is following the Spirit. May I never develop any virtue that only comes from myself, but only that which flows from the Spirit. May my life be full of fruit, not of my own capacity, but of the fruit of God's Spirit. Because I'm not on my own mission. Because we're not on our own mission. We're on the same mission that the Son was sent into the world with, to seek and to save the lost. And we join in the same mission as the Spirit is at work in, and we carry the same gospel. And as we do that, as we announce the gospel, as we embody the gospel, as the Spirit moves us to do those things, it is not, it is not absolute rocket science, right? I used to say that all the time. I couldn't really say that in, my old, in the old church in Tullahoma because we actually had a bunch of rocket scientists. Nerds. Lovable nerds. It's just the simple, simple thing that we have talked about all year here, right? Of a group of people, ordinary people, who follow Jesus together. And as we do that, the word of Jesus and the way of Jesus are wrapped through us by the spirit of Jesus. I want to end today by very simply inviting you. 
Now, many of you, I already share the joy of walking on that road together. If you're in the space where this is all so still, still a little bit distant and still foreign to you, I want you to know, I want you to know that the truth is that God desperately loves you. And you don't have to wait until you get it all right. But even in this moment, wherever you are, however unsteady your hand, and if your cheese is on the floor, man, I want you to know God absolutely is for you. And God is with you and he invites you to join him to join him in his mission in the world and you may think well i'm an unlikely missionary and i would tell you that we've got a long history of those in the church all the way back to those who at first seemed like they should be complete outsiders forever this this crazy ragtag group of apostles who seem like they have every wrong thing, you know, true of them. And yet God walks up to them and says, you, I think you'd be the perfect agent of my work. You don't come into this mission because you've got your resume all polished up. You come because God is willing to go with you and to empower you. So if you're in that space, I want you to know that God not only wants to offer you forgiveness, and God doesn't just want to say, well, it's okay, but even along with that, God wants to bring you in and say, you are a part of what I'm doing in the world. God is calling you to the cross for forgiveness, but he's also calling you to take on the spirit and join his mission. In our tradition, part of the way that we do that is through baptism. And baptism really is a way of thinking about this whole story put together, right? It's a way of saying that in this space where God is out to save the world, he has wrapped us into his story. And all of the themes that we've talked about so far, all of these bits of the story are present in this water. You know that, right? That here in this water, we find ourselves made what? A new creation, that we have our corruption, our sins are washed away. We enter into a new covenant with God. We find ourselves meeting deliverance at the water, just like Israel did at the sea, passing through the waters of baptism. We find ourselves brought into what we call the kingdom of God. We find ourselves meeting the cross, which is a way of like replaying the exile story, isn't it? 
we find ourselves joined into the death and the resurrection of the Messiah. We find ourselves receiving the gift of the Spirit, and we find ourselves joining and becoming a part of the church. We get ourselves wrapped up in the story. Baptism isn't just a ritual. It's a story. And if you haven't taken on that story for yourself, I want you to know that this story isn't something that just happened a long time ago. It can be your story too. And if you haven't taken that step of giving your life to God and taking on baptism as a part of that story, I want to invite you, not just to be baptized, but I want to invite you to, in the waters of baptism, take on the whole of the story of God, which is your story too.